I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Sunday, May 8th, 2022, and this is episode 169 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So this week's best thing is that I have a full seven-page, single-spaced outline for my Black Towns book, the second book on my Orbit contract. I feel like I'm almost ready to start writing. This week, I'm going to start writing. I might need another day or two to organize because I had the outline. Um, I guess I had it maybe Monday, early end of last week, early this week, but I knew I had to review it. And so I was checking it against two different plotting systems as I was kind of reading through it, making sure everything made sense. So my go-tos for this are Structuring Your Novel by K.M. Wyland and Save the Cat Writes a Novel by Jessica Brody based on Blake, Blake Snyder's uh, Save the Cat. And so I was kind of running it through that. The structure of this book is unusual a little bit. In a normal three-act structure, you have the first act, then the break into act two, which is double the size of the first act usually, and then a third act. And... um Breaking into Act 2 is leaving the normal world of Act 1 into the extraordinary world. And this is through, you know, this comes from um, Hero's Journey, but you know, they're all kind of very similar. You know, these plotting systems can sort of be layered on top of each other. Well, I do have a story in which people start in a normal world, our world, and they literally go into a fantastical world. But it doesn't happen at the beginning of Act 2. I need a lot more time to set up the conflict and the emotional arcs. So all this time I've been thinking they're not really going to leave the real world until the midpoint of the book and then go into this extraordinary world. And I, and even all through plotting, I was like, how much of the book, like percentage-wise, happens in our world? It's mostly about our world. It's about saving this town. And they have to go to this extraordinary world to do so. And so Act 2 is not necessarily about the journey, the quest. It's not necessarily about um, fighting off people or even a, a hunt quest. You know, it's not about getting a MacGuffin, even though it is sort of about getting a MacGuffin. And if you don't know, MacGuffin is whatever that thing is everybody wants to get in a, in a story. Um, the classic example is Pulp Fiction, that briefcase everyone's after. You don't know what's in the briefcase. It doesn't matter. MacGuffin generally doesn't matter. It's just a thing they need. And in a magical fantasy story, it's the magical thing they need often. So my structure is different. And I think it's okay that it's a little different, but it was just feeling lopsided. And I'm thinking, you know, someone reads the back cover of the book. I actually wrote the blurb. I wrote a version of the blurb, which would help helps me figure out the plot and all of that. And, you know, they're going to expect certain things. I expect certain things. I want the story to be a certain thing. And having them go so late wasn't feeling right to me. And so I was coming to this conclusion in the morning when I was writing with my friend during our co-working session. And so we talked about a little bit, which is always helpful. And she was like, well, okay, what what are these things that you think you need before they leave for this extraordinary world? And I was telling her, and she was like, are you sure you need that? And she gave this example of of course, I'm going to forget most of it, but it was very impactful to me. But she was talking about film editors, and they were editing some movie, and you know they had to cut a bunch of it. It was too long for the studio, and the editor, you know, someone suggested, you know, you think you need this beginning, the setup. Why don't you cut most of it and just start with the action? 
and they didn't totally worked. And so I was like, I was resistant to it, but I was open to it at the same time because I felt like something was wrong and I'm open to solutions when something's wrong. So I was like, well, let me see what I can do. So in the next sprint, I went and I saw like, what can I cut? What are these things that I think I need to set up the emotions, to set up the interpersonal conflicts? How can I push the main conflict earlier? And can some of that stuff come after we've had some of this main conflict? And by doing that, can I push up a little bit this um, this journey? And yeah, and it worked. I cut some stuff that I was like, I thought I needed, but I think I can do without it. Uh, and I moved some stuff around. And so it's still not going to happen when you break into act two. This is not one of those stories. But it's going to happen somewhere between breaking into act two and the midpoint of the story which is somewhere between 25 and 50%. And I'm okay with that. You know, like I, it's about the town. So you're going to spend most of the time in the town. And, you know, these, these journeys are going to be kind of to the middle of the book where they go to the extraordinary world. And then for the climax, they have to go deeper into the extraordinary world to get the solution to the problem and to overcome the obstacles and finish the character arc for my main character and all of that. And so that was um, kind of what I was going through. I was, you know, sometimes you think you need things and it's stuck in your head. And I, I, I have a tendency to be very attached to things and the way I think it should be and the story that I've had. I mean, the story hasn't changed. It's just I have to force myself to be flexible and to be willing to cut anything and change anything. And cutting these things and moving them around strengthened it. You know, it strengthened everything because I found places where some of my, you know, side characters can, I can have that layered in these relationships better and all kinds of goodness came from cutting a bunch of things that I had planned and really thought that I needed. So I'm going to go through this outline again, maybe once or twice more, so that I really feel like I'm not going to waste my time Writing scenes that I end up cutting later, that's kind of the point of the, the pre-production process, as I call it, whereas production is writing, pre-production is all of this planning, and just like in film, and um, hopefully it will strengthen everything else. I'm not so worried about after the midpoint, I have that plotted, I have ideas for it. Some of the ideas are, they're in this sticky situation, and somehow they get out, and I don't need to know why or how, I need to know why, I don't need to know how yet. Those are things that come with the writing. But yeah, this week, at some point, maybe Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Tuesday might be pushing it. Let's go for Wednesday. I want to start writing actual words, first draft words, and see how it goes. See how fast I can draft this first draft. And by the end of May, see if I'm going to need to ask for more time. <laughs> um... Technically, this draft is due at the beginning of August. As a first draft, that is possible. This book feels long, but I did just cut some things. And because <laughs> it was feeling over 100,000 words, I'm targeting 90 to 100. And it could be, and, and which means a first draft would probably be on the order of 70. I think I would, I'd like to turn in at least 70,000 words, knowing that my first drafts are always short. And my editor, I've told her that, and she's experienced that with me with the Monsters We Defy. I think I turned in a 70,000 word draft, and I think the final is something like 90. So 
I can't remember exactly, but I know I added at least 15 to 20,000 words after my developmental edit. And that's just how it goes. I, I plan for that. I expect that. So yeah, I can, I can turn in a, a 70,000 word first draft, clean first draft by August. But also I need to remember that I'm not functioning at tip top shape. I health-wise, I'm doing a lot better. Uh, there's still a little bit of vertigo and that is not fun. So if you are new, I had COVID in April. Um, I was, I was sick, sick for about five days. And ever since then, it's been, you know, getting better, but dealing with the vertigo, which comes and goes for me. It's like, it'll be really low and then I'll feel it. And, and, but overall, it's very much better. I'm basically working a full-ish day of work almost. I'm still taking naps, but, uh, yeah, I, I can't, I can't push super hard, which I have to remind myself, especially when it comes to scheduling and planning and how much work I can do in a given day. So we'll see. In other news, I am taking a class. I'm taking a class on author branding and audience building. I like to take some kind of professional development, whether it's craft or marketing class, once or twice a year. And so I came across this one that I thought would work well for me because being hybrid, um, kind of writing in in different subgenres, fantasy romance, epic fantasy for Earthsinger, historical fantasy for these Orbit books, paranormal romance for other books that I have, um, also with kind of the two different names, the Orbit books are under Leslie Penelope, all the other stuff is L Penelope. I felt like I needed to focus on branding or understand it more and try to figure out how to speak to my audience and sort of build, you know, um, nurture the audience I have and build a new audience for everything that I write. Try to find people who are not so focused on just the, the subgenre and just the actual book, but who, you know, I think a new goal I'm going to add to my, my list of, of goals and being, and what it means to be successful is to be an auto buy author. You know, there's certain authors. I get an email that says they have a new book on pre-order. I don't care what it is. I don't even read the description. I just buy it. It doesn't matter. I like that author. Uh, so that is what I would like to be no matter what I write. And, I'm hoping that I'm giving people, even though things are different and there's different heat levels in my books, there's different worlds, there's different time periods. I hope that I'm giving a cohesive experience because these books are coming from me. And I think that I am. And so part of this course is going to be nailing down sort of a branding statement, almost like a tagline, and then how to approach social media from that place of like, who am I? You know, what is my brand? What do I offer readers? that they can't get other places? And how do I communicate that so that I'm finding the people who want that thing that I'm giving? And so far, I've done a couple of the modules. It's been really enlightening, really illuminating. I'm having a great time and learning a lot. So part of what I'm going to have to do is a little bit of market research. I'm going to do another survey. I haven't surveyed my newsletter in several years. I think I did two surveys back in like 2016, 2017. I meant to do it every year and I just didn't. 
So I'm definitely going to do a survey and I might even do like a focus group, like get some people on Zoom and just actually talk to them about what they like and stuff like that. That might be kind of cool. I mean, it would be fun for me to talk to readers about what they like. That kind of thing, even though like talking to new people is scary, that kind of thing isn't. Talking to people about books is not scary. It doesn't like trigger my introversion or anything. So yes, that is something that I... I'm going to think about doing. Um, and yeah, just continue with this course, continue doing the work of working on the branding. I had been thinking previously about adjusting my logo because of the, because of the fact that the Orbit books are under the name Leslie Penelope and my author logo is just the L. And I haven't pulled the trigger on that. Um, because I don't know if I need a complete change. So my author logo has this fairy with the afro. And the words El Penelope, and it's a multicolored uh, logo. You can see it on my website. And I like it a lot. I don't know if it fits the brand. I mean, I wanted, I got that logo before I got my tattoo. So I had this tattoo of a fairy with Afro puffs, um, <laughs> putting her right fist up. And it was an idea that I had in college, but I didn't actually get the idea, I'd get the tattoo for 20 something years. I was in my, I think I was 40. I mean, it was 40, 41 when I got that tattoo. And so when it came time to sort of encapsulate what I write and what I want to be doing with my work in a visual form, the black fairy just made the most sense, even though I don't, I mean, I started writing some fairy short stories, but I'm not primarily like a fairy fae writer or anything. Uh, so anyway, thinking about the branding, I don't know if I want to change the logo because I like it, but I'm open to things. And it might just be like a tweak. Like maybe I just change the colors and I add, I spell out my whole name. I add, you know, change the color to something else and keep the fairy and the font. And that might be enough. But the branding is so much more than the logo. And the logo is actually such a small part of it. One of the first things I learned in this, this course I'm taking is that you are your brand. So it's more than just, you know, a fairy and a font and how my name is portrayed. It's it's like, who am I and how do I fit in the world and what am I doing here? And those are things that I think about a lot. And so thinking about them in like a specific organized way so that I can use them in my business is something I'm excited to get, get be, be working on. And I'm going to link this article in my show notes um, from Christine Catherine Rush's blog. It's on attorneys versus agents. Now, Christine Catherine Rush is indie. She, I think she and her husband own their own little publishing company. She's been publishing for a really long time. And she's fairly antagonistic towards agents. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> she's like, even if you do a publishing deal, she's very much pro-lawyer, anti-agent. And... Even though I love my agent and I appreciate everything she's done and I like working with her and I would not change that, I still think it's a really good article to read for anyone who is considering working with a literary agent or is working with a literary agent just to highlight sort of the the places where it can go wrong because there are plenty of stories of, of agents, agent situations gone wrong. Whether they were stealing money, you know, Chuck Palahniuk's agent apparently stole his money, and I, there's horror stories all the way around. So even if you have a good agent, I think it's still a great article. Um, 
I did my first deal with St. Martin's Press with just an attorney. I did not have an agent when I did the Earth Center Chronicles deal. And my agent, I mean, my, my lawyer negotiated the contract. And um, I was very happy with that. I'm also, so after that, I got my agent. And since then, she's negotiated the other deals, my audio rights, my other publishing contract. And I'm happy with that too. I've had good experiences with both. I think that something my agent brings to the table is her knowledge of the industry and her personal relationships. And she has a very good reputation. And uh, I, I really like being a part of the agency, but I do really like my attorney. And I, I know that there are, are downfalls and there are things that I, as an author, need to keep in mind when dealing with my agent because of her because of the unique position that literary agents hold. And so, yeah, just I think it's important to go in with your eyes open to understand the pros and the cons and make your decision that way. And just always, you know, be be vigilant and be kind of involved in every aspect of your running your business. There are things that I wish, you know, the agency did differently. Like with my attorney, I, I did pay her using a percentage of the deal because her hourly rate was high and it's similar to the way that an agent gets paid, but I get my money directly from the publisher. They pay me, they pay her. Most agencies will not let you do that as far as I know. So the agency gets the money, gets my royalty check and then pays me. So there's a point of failure there. That's how people get their money stolen, right? So you have to vet your agents and your agency and and understand how they're doing that. They're supposed to hold it in escrow, I think. And that might d- depend state by state or, you know, as in this, this article shows, there's there aren't there aren't strict laws about how agents can function in the way that there are about how lawyers have to function. So you're trusting, you know, how, that your agent is going to do the right thing, is going to hold it in your money in an account and then pay you and whether it's an escrow account or however else it might work. So yeah, just check it out if that is of interest to you and if this and if you are either currently or want to be represented. Finally, we saw Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness yesterday, was it? Um I wasn't a huge fan of the movie. There's great things about it. I think Elizabeth Olsen is amazing in that movie. Amazing. So no spoilers, but I didn't like what they did with certain characters. And the biggest part was I just didn't have any feelings in this whole movie. I didn't feel anything. Doctor Strange is an unlikable character. Um, You know, I think Cumberbatch does a great job, too. All the acting was good. I I liked America Chavez, the girl playing her. I'm not familiar with that character because I don't read the comic books, but I've heard of the character. And yeah, it was a very forgettable movie. It was not the movie I thought it was going to be, even though I had no idea what what it was going to be about. Um, I will say that it has a lot of horror elements, which I was not prepared for. And it's a PG-13, which my brother texted me and I'm like, really? I feel like, don't maybe take your kids because it might scare them a lot. Like if you have little kids, they shouldn't be seeing this movie. Um, but yeah, that was just my opinion. My brother really liked it. <laughs> Sometimes we have, we're like in sync and sometimes we have wildly diverging opinions as, you know, people who don't have the same brain tend to do. But, uh, I don't know. My husband and I were kind of more on the same page about being like, yeah, 
but I like to be a completionist, although I'm still trying to figure out if I'm going to watch the rest of Moon Knight. I think I watched the first three or four episodes, maybe only the first three, and I was just so bored and frustrated that I didn't continue, and now it's over, and I am a completionist, so I feel like I need to watch the rest, but I am not excited to do so. So we'll see if that ever happens. <laughs> I'll just like read spoilers about it. Marvel, they were they were really like in their pocket and now it's more magic, it's more space, it's more things that are less grounded and less grounded than superheroes. But things I'm finding it more difficult to connect with on an emotional level. And so that really affects my enjoyment of something. You know, like reading and stories, I guess in general, are about emotion. And when I can't feel it, uh, I just don't care. I think that was what was happening with Moon Knight, being just incredibly frustrating and not even knowing what was going on. And then the last episode I watched explained some things and you're starting to get it. But it was kind of after the first two, a little too little, too late. I mean, sometimes intrigue will pull you through. But in this case, intrigue was not not pulling me through. And yeah, I think about the emotion question in my own writing as I'm, again, looking at, well, everything I write, but specifically with Beastly Kingdom. Um, I think one of the things, the points of resistance, why I haven't been drafting, along with all the other reasons I haven't been writing, is that finding the emotional resonance of the characters um, can be difficult. And I think it just takes a lot of energy. But you can always, I always know when something that I've planned is not quite right yet. And it's another instance where not quite right. So I'll be working on that hopefully this week too. I keep looking at the calendar. I, I finally changed my calendar to May. It takes me a week or so. And uh, yeah, May 2022. Hard to believe. So yes, goals for the week for me are to start writing the Black Town story and get some headway on Beastly Kingdom and try to do that whole two writing sessions a day, which I still haven't done yet. But as my energy, like the exhaustion from being sick wanes even more, like it's a little better each day. And hopefully as the vertigo continues to reduce, then I will be able to do what I need to do and get these books written. I hope that you have a wonderful week and I will talk to you next week for episode show notes and to sign up for the footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox. Go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. You can email me at podcast at lpenelope.com and I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcasts.